Owning a small business can be overwhelming. How can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. There's so many places to reach customers. Email, text messages, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, live events. The list goes on. How are you, as the business owner, expected to own all of those channels? That's where Constant Contact comes in to help. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. I use this to grow my email list, and you should too. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. The Big Vets on Campus podcast. 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 All right, here we go. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast. This is the week one college football betting preview. I'm stuck in joining me as always, my co-host, Colin Wilson. We're coming to you a day early because we have a loaded weekend of college football starting on Thursday, then some games Friday, then obviously a massive Saturday slate. We got Sunday night football, Monday night football. We'll get to maybe, I don't know, 30 games today and an hour and a half or so. We have a lot to get to. Underdogs, overdogs, your marquee games, under the radar games. We'll cover it all. Even Arkansas football. Colin, <laughs> what's going on? You said loaded. I think that is undershooting what the task is at hand. Five straight days of college football. Uh, by the way, it's good to see you here in Brett McMurphy's Alabama shirt. Uh, yeah, I'm ready to talk Arkansas football, but hey, we got Bobby Petrino, Missouri State football going on. I mean, this is just wild. I, I, we've got everything that you could possibly want a college football sandwich. So I'm ready to get week one going underway, find out more about these teams and get a more lockdown power rating. We don't get beat up like this until usually Thanksgiving. I think you might want to get yourself a helmet and a bulletproof vest and an iron jock strap because you're going to get your head shot, your back stabbed, and your nuts danced on. Yeah, thanks to everyone who has been leaving reviews. Leave a five-star review. I don't care what you say. If you've already done it, grab someone else's phone. Have our producer give out some giveaways to some of you that have left some recently. They've really helped us out, jump up in the rankings, and hopefully you enjoyed the early week show and some of the voicemails that you guys left. And hopefully some of you grabbed uh, Texas State and the New Mexico State under, which have moved quite a bit, and we'll get to those games eventually. But make sure you leave a review. And don't forget about the voicemail, 959-BAD-BEAT. We have island games. I know you guys are going to be calling in where we lead you astray, or if you want to give us credit and the rare occasion, 959 bad beat 24 seven, always open, but let's just dive right in. We'll start with Thursday, move on to Friday, then tackle the marquee games on Saturday and then go through a rundown of about 10 or 12 more to finish up the card here. And then obviously touch on Sunday and Monday night, just a lot to get to. All right, Thursday, let's start West Virginia at Pitt. Pitt seven and a half point. Home favorite over under 51 and a half. The backyard brawl is back, baby. 
first time these two teams will play since 2011 and when they were both in the Big East. I've been to the Backyard Brawl in both Pitt and Morgantown. It's a blast. This series goes all the way back to the 1800s. These teams hate each other. My two favorite stories from this series, this is actually the, thir- the first college football game that was ever broadcast on the radio in the 20s was West Virginia Pitt. But my favorite story is Bobby Bowden, who's legendary, went on to become a legendary coach at Florida State. He actually coached at West Virginia. They were up 35 to eight on Pitt and Pitt came out in the second half at the half, Pitt came out in the second half and just ran power eye the entire half and came all the way back. After the game, West Virginia fans stormed like the locker room and were pounding on Bowden's door, calling for his head. And he said it was the darkest day of his uh, coaching career. Welcome aboard, slugger. And then the latest saga is uh, our guy, Kidon Slovis, came out in a pep rally and basically said, F West Virginia. I don't know if we have that clip, but we sort of throw that in there. And I got one more thing to say. Fuck West Virginia. I'm glad that this game is back. Uh, we talked about this earlier in the week on, on the under. I, I think that Pitt now with the coordinator change, losing Pickett, this is a chance for you to mention media days as well, losing Addison. They're going to play a lot slower. They're going to rely on their running game. They're going to rely on their defense, which has some pros up front. And the way that you beat this Pitt defense, which is always going to be solid, is you got to beat them over the top. You got to beat them with deep shots because they play so, so aggressive on the outside with their corners, leaving them on the islands and quarters coverage a lot. And I don't think West Virginia has the horses to really take advantage there. So I think this is a grinder. Uh, I like the under here. What are your thoughts on the return of the backyard brawl, baby? I completely agree with you on the under. We've talked about it at nauseum. Uh, my side conversation with Narduzzi at ACC media days, uh, ding, 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 ding. informal conversation about how Frank Signetti is the perfect offensive coordinator. They want to run the ball all the time. They want to be bottom 10 in tempo, not top 10 in tempo, which is what Mark Whipple had him at. And then as far as the defensive side of the ball, I mean, Servassier Dennis is one of our first team All-Americans for the Action Network. So the defense, I believe, you know, outside of Clemson, uh, you know, one of the best in the nation. I mean, the, the front seven is just so havoc minded. They always have been. That's typical what Narduzzi wants. And now they're not going to be rushed back out of the field because their offense is out there all the time. Uh, I think Slovis is a great fit. We'll see how he runs in this offense. He's not in Graham Harrell's air raid, which West Virginia is. Do we trust JT Daniels, right? Can he run Graham Harrell's offense? He's not really had a successful slash healthy season since his freshman year the big theme in week one which is freshman quarterbacks finding their offensive coordinators and we see that with jt daniels the problem with west virginia is is there's so many transfers right we got stills on the defensive line there's so many transfers in the back seven it's a little questionable whether you know they're going to be accustomed to the to the you know the, the scheme and what leslie jordan leslie wants to run back there uh, so I think that this is ultimately a Pittsburgh win. I would lay Pittsburgh at seven, although I am staying away from the side. Under is the best bet, in my opinion, especially a first half under. I think that's good through the key of 51. Uh, we are seeing buyback. West Virginia is getting the seven and a half. Uh, you know, every time the uh, total gets down to 50 and a half, we're seeing a little bump on the over here. Uh, but, you know, I'm sticking with, you know, Pitt laying the seven and uh, under the current number of 51 and a half in the market. <clears throat> Yeah, actually, lean, lean West Virginia plus seven and a half, and I don't have to play it. All right, moving on to another conference matchup on Thursday night. Penn State at Purdue. Purdue's a three-and-a-half-point home underdog over under 53. Both teams have experienced quarterbacks. O'Connell returns for Purdue, and 
much maligned Sean Clifford returns for Penn State. Both also lost their top star wideouts to the NFL last year in Dotson and Bell. A lot of similarities between these two teams. They also have two new defensive coordinators. They also lost some talent to the NFL, like a really talented, their most talented pass rusher. A lot of similarities between these two teams. I think we disagree on this game. When this line first came out, well, when the total first came out, I, I was leaning under, you know, because Purdue can't really run the ball. Penn State is, they're going to just throw it. That's what they do. Penn State's strength is their secondary. They have some questions on the front seven. I, I still don't trust Clifford in this offense, but Sean Clifford and Penn State in this RPO attack, they go at a lightning pace at sometimes, and all Purdue does is throw it. So I'm like, do I really want to say, do I, and, you know, there's two new coordinators. I am concerned about Purdue losing their coordinator. They also lost Kralaftis, who he didn't have the, I mean, he obviously went in the first round of the NFL draft, but he didn't, and he didn't have like the silly sack numbers, but he demanded so much attention from opposing defenses. So I'm a bit worried about what his loss means to the front seven, but there's still some experience in that on that Purdue defense. The Purdue offense, it's going to be O'Connell slinging around. He's going to need some Iowa transfers to step up. But if you recall against Tennessee last year in the bowl, Wright and Bell both didn't play. Wright, who's academically ineligible, and Bell, who went to the NFL. And he still was slinging the, the rock all around the field against Tennessee. Granted, Tennessee didn't have their top corner playing in that game. But I think that these two teams are close to equal. I do make Penn State a minuscule favor, but I basically have this a coin flip game. So I'm tempted by plus three and a half, but I do have questions about the Purdue receivers, about the Purdue defense after losing Carl Aftis and the coordinator. And I just don't trust Clifford, but you like Penn State. I think you bet them at minus three. Make, make your case. The loss of P.J. Mustafer last year on the defensive interior was monstrous for that Penn State defense. You saw Illinois go to, what, 9-10 overtimes, and that's because they just ran it up the gut once Mustafer was injured. Uh, they are going to be stout on defense once again, and you and I have said this for years. Manny Diaz is a coordinator. He's not a head coach, and I think he will have success here. But look at the Purdue side of the ball. This is a team that only runs the ball 40% of the time. That's extremely low. They love to pass, and Penn State has – what from all the things I've seen and projections from the preseason, the best back seven in the Big Ten uh, from a secondary and linebacker standpoint and all of the Big Ten. And that's saying something. When Purdue is one dimensional with Aiden O'Connell, he loses, you know, a David Bell. He loses a lot of his top targets and they're not used to running the ball. And then you flip on the other side and George Karloftis is gone. The only guy that was creating a whole bunch of havoc there. I think this really plays into the into Penn State's favor. And oh, by the way, Mike Yurisich going into year two as offensive coordinator, the best year that Sean Clifford had from a decision-making standpoint. Just don't look at touchdowns and interceptions. Look at big-time plays. Look at turnover-worthy plays. Sean Clifford had his best year last year. I think that's going to continue here. I think if there's value with Purdue, if it gets, if it gets the four, I might be tempted. I might look live. because I do have questions about Purdue, but I respect your stance. Maybe we'll be head-to-head. Maybe we won't. There ain't no good guy. There ain't no bad guy. There's only Sometimes early in the season, you're itching to have action. But the way that I think about it, if I don't have a huge, if I don't have a big enough edge where it's just like, okay, my number says I have to play it, then I'll look, okay, do I also like some of the, you know, qualitative factors and some of the other things that I take into consideration? If not, and I still have some questions, then I probably will pass early in the year, especially now with all the transfers and all, all of the added uncertainty. But you still have a sweat, right? You, I love just watching it to learn about these scenes, but 
I'll go in with a live target. You also could root against yourself towards the end if you never got anything down. So we'll see if that number, where it goes, it seems like there's, I bet if it hit four, you would probably get some sharp money on Purdue. So it probably wouldn't last long. And then we might end up being stuck at three and a half for the most part up until kick. Another game I just want to mention, New Mexico State at Minnesota. We mentioned this game. Minnesota's a 36 and a half point favorite. We mentioned this game earlier in the week saying hit the under. The under is down from 56 to 52. Minnesota's a 36 and a half point favorite. Uh, I still like like the under, but not nowhere close to as much at 52. You've crossed a, a major key number at 55, but slightly like the under. If you want to wait to see if Minnesota goes up, you can, because I don't think, look, I think New Mexico State's going to be a really good under team early on. Their offense is going to struggle, and their defense is way ahead of their offense. Minnesota, I don't know how much they're going to show here. And guess who's coaches New Mexico State? Jerry Kill, Minnesota legend. Number one, he's very, very conservative, but I don't think Flat and company are, are running this up to 60 nothing uh, against Kill. Minnesota has a really good chance of building a big league here and then sitting on it. And then the other one I want to mention, now you can share your thoughts on either one of those two, Tennessee, Ball State. I played under 68 and a half here. It's starting to come down. Scary because Tennessee plays super fast and they could score at will here. Hooker should shred. But Ball State's offense, maybe the worst quarterback situation besides UMass was five guys listed on the depth chart uh, as starter this week. So starter or, 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 or. Ball State's quarterback situation is a mess. Um, their offense should really struggle here. Tennessee has pit on deck. So I, I assume that they're going to come out. I might add to the under live if Tennessee jumps out, you know, real quick to 21 nothing. This reminds me of a game last year when they played Bowling Green to open up the year. They ended up winning 38-6. to six. They ran the ball on 27 of their final 33 plays. So I would imagine once they get up 24-28 to 28 here, it's just a let's hand it off. And we're not trying to run it up. And by the way, Ball State maybe doesn't want to show much, doesn't want anyone to get hurt. They have Western Michigan, a conference game next week. So this could be just let, let's pack it up early, boys, in the second half for both teams. Any thoughts on either one of those? Yeah, I agree with you with Jerry Kill. They don't want to They don't want to run it up on him. Now, if that was Tracy Clays, I'd be saying something different. Uh, you know, the guy that basically ran out of town and said everybody can kiss his ass and he hates the cold weather. When you look at it, does Minnesota even have the horses to run it up? Because they want to run Muhammad Ibram. Like crazy. And I think the thing that gets me about this Minnesota team is that they have one returning offensive lineman. It's not yeah. a deep trench. And I'm not saying New Mexico State is all world. Hell, I've got them power rate, I think, second worst in the nation. But, uh, you know, I just don't think that they're going to be explosive enough. Even with the return of offensive coordinator Kirk Soraka, Minnesota, extremely slow. New Mexico State, yep. extremely slow. Take the under Minnesota there. Minnesota's a snail, snail. Yeah. I think it's actionable through 51. I'm going to pass on talking about Tennessee. I'm just going to put a mention out there. I love Central Michigan more and more and more against Oklahoma State. And I, I love Lou Nichols. I don't know how you can't. Bashing running back from the MAC, one of the best. Uh, Daniel Richardson uh, has extremely good numbers when it comes to big-time throws, turnover-worthy plays. A really good quarterback from the MAC. Oklahoma State's got some changes going on in defense. Just besides Derek Mason coming in, we got some personnel changes, especially in the linebacker unit. I think there's some areas on the defensive line they can attack that's not named Colin Oliver. Uh, Lou Nichols is legit. He will bash you and run you over. I this 21 and a half is screaming back door. And considering Central Michigan won here in Stillwater in, in 2016, I mean, just I go back and look at Oklahoma State over the last several years. When's the last time they scored 40 in a non-conference game? When's the last time they scored 30 in a non-conference game? They have struggled early out of the gate in each of their seasons the last few years. So uh, Central Michigan, heavy, heavy on my radar. Yeah, I am kind of where they lost two 
tackles to the NFL. Um, yeah. That's what I'm worried about against the Oklahoma State's strength on their defense is their defensive line. So I'm worried about that. So maybe I'll, I, I just definitely lean your way, but I might wait to see what I see live if I get involved at all. Did right, Luke Nichols catch like 30 to 40 balls last year? And they were all like out in the flats. Like if you're getting heavy pressure from the edge, Lou Nichols was like the perfect weapon against it. So that's the one thing that led me into how much I love the chips. Yep. All right. Friday night lights. Let's hear it, gentlemen. Clear eyes, full hearts. Let's go play some football. Let's go. We're going to cover one of these games later in another segment. So I'm just going to ask three quick questions here because we already talked about one of these games, Colorado TCU. We, by the way, actionnetwork.com, Action Network app. We'll have write-ups on, on, I think, every game this weekend. Colorado now 14-point dog TCU. Just simple question. What is your strike price there? Is it dead now? You can't play it at 14? I don't have a ceiling for TCU, and the reason is because a quarterback battle of two extremely competent players is going into the season and they're both going to be fighting each other for playing time. And that means the third and fourth quarter TCU's offense is still going to be on fire. It's the same thing with Michigan. When you have two quarterbacks and they got oars next to their name and they're still competing for starting duties, that's a bad week one scenario for the opponent because it's still full blown go in uh, quarter three, quarter four. Temple Duke, I'll mention an under that's really scary and ugly, but why not? What a better way to spend a Friday night. Who did Duke bring in Mike Elko should fix that defense. And it's not like Temple's offense is any good. And Temple brought in a head coach. It's a running back guy. And they're going to lead on the run here. It's scary, but I played under 51 and a half, like <laughs> the 51. This is going to be like 45, 40 or, or 13, 10. Hopefully the, the latter. Last game we'll talk about on Friday, Illinois at Indiana. Indiana two and a half point favorite over under 45 and a half. I've wrote about this this week. I've talked about this before. Teams that haven't played yet do have an edge historically against the spread against teams who already played because preparation, right? Indiana had, could spend extra time preparing for Illinois. Also the film edge. They saw some things that Illinois did last week. They also have some new things that they can show that Illinois hasn't seen. And they have a lot of new faces on this roster. We still don't know the quarterback is. If it's Tuttle or Bazelak, this line has come down at Indiana I think their run defense will be okay. That's what Illinois wants to do. I'm not sure what Indiana's offense is going to look like. They've said that they're going to play up to eight receivers. So I would certainly lean under here. The element of surprise on Indiana's favor. Now this line's under three. I lean their way. I don't know if I can get involved here, though. Anything here? Yeah. Both of these teams outside the top 100 and finishing drives last year, that that really kind of specifically points out the fact that when they get into scoring position, they're not able to put points up on the board. You know that Brett Bielema held 40% of his trick playbook off the menu from week zero. There's a guy, you know, Tom Allen, uh, hate to mention media days, talked to Tom Allen at, at uh, St. Elmo's and told me that he knows that he's going to get a few trick plays from Brett Bielema. Listen, Illinois did look very good, but they're supposed to when you play an opponent of that caliber. I like the under in this game as we've been talking stuck. I mean, this number has come from three, two and a half down to one at circuit taking some respected money. So I am not sure if I just let this float until Illinois is a favorite and take Indiana as a home dog. I'm not sure if I'm going to get involved with this one, but Indiana is going to be the look if we cross zero. Yeah. Indiana or nothing, but maybe one you just stay away from. All right. Now let's move on to the marquee games of the weekend. It's another fabulous weekend of college football. Let's check out the marquee matchups we'll all end up betting for week one. All right, let's start off with a game at noon that I'm really looking forward to. NC State at East Carolina. East Carolina, 11-point underdogs over under 51 and a half. Skins at noon Eastern on ESPN. This is what college football is about early in the season. 
two teams from the same state that don't like each other, one group of five, one power five, really going to set the tone for each of their respective seasons. There's even, I think they play for like a barrel, some wooden barrel or something. Hey, Stuck, it's your producer, Matt. Yes, NC State and ECU have played 31 times since 1970, but have been playing for the Victory Barrel since 2007. It's just a regular-ass wooden barrel with NC State and ECU painted by hand on the top, but it's a pretty big barrel. It's, you know, standard size, enough to fit all of Callan Wilson's Media Days references inside. This is just, and it's going to be in a raucous environment in Greenville. This will only be the fifth time that they've played in Greenville. ECU has won the previous two, and they beat, they beat Russell Wilson, I think, in 2010, and then they won in 2016. Most recent two meetings were both in Raleigh, and NC State absolutely dominated them. I think 50, they were up 58 nothing at the end of 2018, and then and ECU kicked a field goal as time expired to avoid the shutout. Yikes, embarrassing. And then to open up, Houston's their head coach, Mike Houston, his first game in 2019, the season opener, NC State took it to ECU again. By the way, a lot of the same players that were on the field for this one played in that game, including Holt Nailers, who's back at quarterback again, which seems like his 50th year, but it's just his fifth. Both teams have really experienced quarterbacks, and I think this one's going to be a fun one. The questions I have with NC State, the defense is loaded. want to see them get more pressure, but maybe the best linebackers in the country – they get, you know, they had they start, they lost their starting starting nose tackle. It comes back, they're gonna kick him out the end because their nose tackle took over and it'll be first team all a- ACC. They bring back first team all ACC safety, all three corners, and just experience everywhere. The offense is more of a question for me. While they do bring back eight starters, they lose three of their most important ones outside of Devin Leary, who's a dark horse Heisman candidate. They lose their starting left tackle to the NFL. You're going to have a sophomore with one career start against an FBS team take his place. You lose your top two backs. One of them, Bam Knight, who was also good in the return game. And then you lose your number one receiver. who's really good on third downs and the clutch and just uh, a safety blanket for Leary. So replacing those three positions. And I think the, the running game isn't as important. They weren't that great at running the ball last year anyway. I think it's mainly okay. Left tackle. And then who can replace Mezzi, who was just so big for them, think back to that North Carolina game as well. What this boils down to me is that if you look back, the two games that ECU won in Greenville against NC State, the last two times that they've played there, they got off to a fast start. I think they outscored NC State by a total of 30 to nothing in the first quarter. That's going to be key here. They can't fall too far behind. Got to take advantage of the crowd. NC State coming in with a lot of expectations. Are they going to be tight? Is ECU going to be loose? It's their Super Bowl. I'm assuming they're going to throw everything at NC State. I played ECU here. I only make it nine. It's not a huge edge, but I think some of the intangibles may work in ECU's favor. Um, we'll see. They they finally might have a, in a decent offensive line. They have a really good back in Keaton Mitchell, a really promising tight end who returns, and then C.J. Johnson returns in the slot. Two new receivers on the outside that are transfers. And we'll see if the defense, which is really experienced, but lost arguably its two most important players, can take another step forward. Um, I think this game stays close throughout. I played ECU plus 10.5, but I'm not as high as on NC State overall as you. But I think if they win this game, they're going to exhale and they're, they're in for a, good, a big season. But this one could get scary. What are your thoughts? 
I think if you have a lot of coin down on NC State preseason, you probably want to sit this one out. Now, Suck, I'm sure that you were not happy when you saw this as a you know a noon kick. I mean, the nighttime thing would have been a, a yeah, factor yeah. there in Greenville. So I think that plays the advantage of NC State. But you know, there are reasons in this game that I, you know, power rated around two touchdowns, but there's I just don't want any part of this spread. When you look at the NC State side of it, you've already mentioned, you know, some key losses they have, especially in the backfield. Are they going to be able to establish the run against a you know, a decent East Carolina defense, if they become one dimensional and have to throw the ball, they might have some issues scoring some points here the first game out. So I do like the under for that aspect. But then when I look at the other side with East Carolina, they are going to continue to have pass pressure problems like Holt Naylor's under pressure does not make good plays whatsoever. I'm going to sit this one out. I do like the under might end up playing it on Saturday, maybe a first half under since so early in the day. But if you got a lot of coin on NC State, sit this one out and reassess your power rating and see if we're spot on with how good they are. I don't know. I think Ailers will have some opportunities to make plays. I mean, Ailers is a Jekyll and Hyde act. So like if you get good Ailers, this is going to get scary. If you get bad Ailers, it could be 38 nothing NC State. All right, let's move on to... The next marquee game of the weekend, Oregon against Georgia in Atlanta. This is technically a neutral site game, but I'm sure Georgia will have the majority of the support. Georgia 17 to 17 and a half point favorite. Keeps bouncing back and forth over under 53. This game's 3.30 p.m. Eastern on ABC. It's Bo Nix season for Oregon. Bo Nix season in full effect. We will see what the offense looks like. Historically, it's going to be... Under Dillingham, it's going to be fat, faster, take some shots, RPOs. We'll see what it looks like there. The offensive line, now I, I played Oregon mainly because of two factors. I see value in the number. I think I'm lower on Georgia than the market, and I'm higher on Oregon. Played in the win the Pac-12. But there are, also, there are also some things that I like about this Oregon team. I actually like what they – they're secondary. Some people have questions. I actually like the kid that they brought in from Colorado – five-star kid on the other side. Their linebackers are excellent. Their, their defensive line, even though they lost Thibodeau, is extremely deep. Offensively, they have one of the best offensive lines. It's a crystal ball team. One of the best offensive lines in the country. That's enormous against Georgia, right? Georgia, they did lose a, a, just a massive amount of talent to the NFL from last year's national championship team. But the, Georgia's a team that reloads with five-star talent. There could be some growing pains early. We'll see. But their defensive line is, once again, loaded. And there's not many teams that have an offensive line that can match up. And Oregon is one that does, on paper at least. So I do like that. Um, I also like the fact that, and we talked about this on the Favorites podcast, Dan Lanning comes from Georgia. We'll see how, what kind of impact that has on Georgia. I don't, and this is narrative-based, but he's human. This is his old team. He also knows his old team very well and Stetson Bennett very well. If Oregon wins his game, I mean, it is driver's seat to the college football playoff. You can lose another game, win the Pac-12, and you're in the college football playoff. On a personal level, I'm sure he wants to win it. I also think that the back door might be open on the flip side. I don't know if they want to run it up. If it's, you know, at 24, you can get in the back door here. But every wrinkle, every they're going to throw the kitchen sink out here. And I think Lanning's knowledge and then just the amount of preparation time that he's had is, uh, is going to pay dividends. So I think there's value in the number. There's other reasons to like them. Now, similar to Holt Nailers, it's, you know, the, this bet, this could be Oregon down th- three late. Or it could be Oregon down 28 late, depending on what you get out of the Jekyll and Hyde quarterback and Bo Nix. You know, Bo Nix is going to make some spectacular plays. He's going to make some boneheaded plays. 
probably comes down to a matter of where on the field and when and how many of each does he make. Uh, but I think that there's over 17. There's too much value to pass up here. You agree? Yeah, I agree completely. This is a game I make Georgia minus 10 on a neutral. Uh, they took a real big power rating hit, about five points of power rating hit on defense because they don't return more than 42% of their tackles, passes defense, or their pressures. But I have to ask, does it matter when you're reloading with the kind of talent that they're bringing in? Dan Lanning knows this defense in and out. He recruited every single one of these kids, and he knows the basics, you know, like don't run at Jalen Carter on the defensive line. Don't throw at Keely Ringo, right, in the secondary. I mean, it's pretty basic. And he, so, he also knows the offense, though. They were He was going against the offense for the entire season. I think that helps, too, for his defensive game plan. Yeah, and don't think that, you know, Dan Lanning's not sitting in Kenny Dillingham's, uh, you know, offensive coordinator room and talking about what the execution is going to be here. So, you know, I think there's a couple of things to look at here. The reasons why I like the number at 17 and a half, which it, it seems like we're getting a lot of buy on Georgia at 16 and a half, a lot of buy on Oregon at 17 and a half at most of the sharp books is I think Bo Nix's familiarity with Georgia too. And one of Bo Nix's best seasons was with Kenny Dillingham as the offensive coordinator at Auburn in 2019. So let's review, because remember, Auburn may be in a different division, but they have to play Georgia every year, you know, in the SEC. So in last year... And by, and by the way, before you review, this Nix, for whatever you think of him, 19 Dillingham OC, 20 different OC, 21 different OC. He's on a new team. So you think that's going to be some growth pains, but he finally has a, a coordinator, the one that he excelled with in the second season. Last year, he had 217 yards against Georgia, three big time throws and only two turnover worthy plays. Not bad, right? Good performance against what was the best defense in college football. Yeah. You go back to the pandemic season of 2020, he had 176 yards. He had one big time throw to two turnover worthy plays, not disastrous, not things we've seen out of Bo Nix before. And then you look at his, First season as a freshman underneath Dillingham at Auburn, he didn't have any turnover-worthy plays, and he threw for a touchdown, and he rushed for a touchdown in the fourth quarter. Yeah, he also had a fumble in the first half, but that's just Bo Nix ball. So Dillingham has faced Lanning before, and I think there's a lot of familiarity when Bo Nix lines up and sees. It's not like he's going to see the Georgia defense, especially with a whole bunch of new faces, and just cave. He's very comfortable playing them. And he's been steady. He hasn't been god-awful, which we've seen out of Bonick. So I'm all in on Bonick season covering the 17 and a half. I definitely would want to get that hook there because, you know, Bonick's don't quit, right? In the fourth quarter, you know he's going to try to get that cover. It's bow time. Boom. Like a powder keg in your mouth. Southern style. But I think the final thing I'll say about this game is Cristobal worked his tail off on the recruiting trail to build trenches on a West Coast school. They return all five offensive linemen. They're really good. They return two of the best interior defensive linemen in all of the Pac-12, maybe in the nation. And if they're going to challenge to win this game, Noah Sewell at linebacker is going to have to play lights out because these three tight ends, Brock Bowers, Darnell Washington, Reed Gilbert, they are the most elite tight ends in the nation for Georgia. But I'm a believer in Bo Nix, and Bo Nix is steady against Georgia. So let's do it. All right, let's move on to the next game. Your boys finally yeah. talk about Arkansas, Cincinnati at Arkansas. Arkansas six six and a half point favorite over under fifty two. This game's at three thirty Eastern on ESPN. Both teams lost an NFL receiver, but the loss of Traylon Burks is massive. And how are they going to replace him? They have some talent. They brought in some more talent. Still have a really good offensive line. Still have Kade Jefferson, but the Arkansas would deal a lot of injuries, like the offensive line depth, one of the running backs. 
The receivers have been kind of banged out. I'll curious to get your update on, on the health. Defensively, you get Catalan back, Bumper Pool, Barry Odom leading the way. Should be a solid Arkansas team going up against an Arkansas, uh, Cincinnati team that made the college football playoff last year. They will now have a new quarterback after losing Desmond Ritter. And they also lost six starters on defense in the NFL, including three in the secondary. Two phenomenal, phenomenal cornerbacks. And from the looks of it, I would think, and, and Fickles hinted at this, that the defense might look different this year. Might not be as much man based on the personnel. You might see more four-man fronts, which I think would be smart in this game. Kind of burnt them against, you know, the safety's going to probably come up in the box. more. really burnt them against Alabama. Their run defense wasn't great last year at times, and now Alabama really took advantage of it. Alabama didn't even have a great rushing attack last year. You'll probably see more guys in the box here daring Arkansas to prove they can throw downfield. And while Cincinnati also did lose a lot of talent on the defensive side in the front seven, they still have a lot of talent there. And I actually think that they'll be better against the run. They're not as quick off the edges, but I think they're, they're bigger, bulkier. And that's important against an Arkansas team that wants to lean on the run. So my question is two-part here, and you can break this game down. How much will Arkansas – Miss Burks, what do you think the game plan is going to be? I basically want you to convince me to hit this under because I really do like the under. On the other side, do you trust Arkansas's defense to shut down what I presume will be Ben Bryant at quarterback and the Cincinnati offense, which has some talent on the outside and they return their entire offensive line, which is big. What do you see in this matchup here? I know that you already played Cincy. Woo, pig suey. Absolute dumpster fire, dumpster fire. I don't know how we win a game the rest of the year. Just blow the program up. Give us a death sentence. Collins talking Razorback football. Yeah, the number's too big against Cincy. A lot of people see the brand name Cincy, know what they've lost with Desmond Ritter and and Sauce Gardner and and think, well, Arkansas is just going to steamroll them. That's kind of the initial thoughts that I had, because when you look at Arkansas' schedule, you're kind of sizing up defensive front sevens and saying, who can they not run over? I think... It's a little bit of overreaction. The number should be closer to three and a half, not closer to seven. Uh, so I think the number is still good there for Cincinnati. This is going to be a vanilla game plan for Arkansas, especially with South Carolina on deck. But to address your questions, the loss of Traylon Burks is absolutely massive. I believe he had three times as many targets as the next wide receiver, Warren Thompson, last year. He was the Mr. Everything in third downs. He was Mr. Everything in the red zone. You just don't replace that overnight, but this is not the strength of Arkansas. The strength of Arkansas is Raheem Sanders and that running game. The offensive line is completely healthy. All the starters are back. One, one filling in. He was a reserve, but, you know, played quality time last year. Arkansas is going to line up and run the ball like crazy. Can Cincinnati defend that? They should be able to have some sort of success. They do lose some players out of the front seven, but Cincinnati was a top 30 team in standard down success rate. What does that mean? They were really good in getting you into passing downs last year. That's a fickle defense. I know he's going to change schemes. He's going to mold it to what they have. But fickle's always been top 30, top 25 and standard down success rate. The way you beat this Arkansas team is get KJ Jefferson to pass. Cincinnati's excellent at doing that. And fickle will sell out of everything to get them in long distances in second and third down. So once we get there, KJ Jefferson is going to have to learn to have a life without Traylon Burks. And KJ Jefferson has to learn in-game, real-time, to hit players that aren't named Traylon Burks. It's a massive loss. Now, you go to the other side, pressure is such an issue for Arkansas. They were lucky enough to go to the transfer portal, get John Ridgeway at nose, get Trey Williams in at edge. 
presented all this pressure that allowed them to drop eight and handle any passing attack. They weren't generating any pressure. About a week and a half ago, they decided to go to a four-man front. Uh, Isaiah Nichols wasn't cutting it as the new nose. We're going to go to a four-down front. What does that do? Barry Odom, the defensive coordinator, can no longer just drop eight. That takes one guy out of coverage. That means Ben Bryant wants to go back and pass. There's one less guy there to defend that. And you can't disguise as much. No, you can't. Which he's very good at. There's a little bit of self-identification that Arkansas has got to go through here in this first game. I don't think this is going to be easy whatsoever. So considering that Cincinnati is extremely well coached, Arquan Bush is still there on the defense as their nickelback. That's somebody that can roam and do whatever he wants, depending on how Arkansas lines up. So we'll see. But I think the number is way too high. Uh, The perception of Arkansas is a little bit too high, especially on teams that can force Arkansas out of standard downs and into second and third and long. That's what Cincinnati's going to do, and we'll see if Arkansas can work their way out of it. Important for your under, these two defenses are yearly top 25 in defensive finishing drives. Those are the kind of teams you want unders on. Now, Sam Pittman's been a moneymaker, Stuck. Yes, sir! I don't like fading him, but this number is just too inflated. Yeah. All right, let's move on to our next marquee game, and this is one that you feel passionate about. Utah at Florida. Florida is now three-point home underdog over under 51.5. This game's at 7 p.m. Eastern on ESPN. Billy Napier, the nameless one, takes over in Gainesville. Scared money don't make money, you know? Um, I actually do think his system, what he runs scheme-wise, will fit Anthony Richardson well as a quarterback and – what if you think back to Levi Lewis's skill set? I think Richardson, who does have to improve his accuracy, he's just certainly explosive, can fit well in this scheme. There are questions this Florida roster has, mainly for Utah, which is you, you could speak to them. You're extremely high on them. You're higher than I am. I think this line is about right. It's a tricky spot for Utah. Just the Utah team and the humidity going east, it's a tough, tough trip. Florida obviously is a talented team going through a lot more change in Utah. You think they take care of business. You love the Utes here. Did you say Utes? Yeah, Utes. Start out the season much better than they did last year. If you recall, they stumbled out of the gates with Charlie Brewer and then made the change to Cam Rising, and the offense really took off. Do have to replace Britton Covey, who's really important for them in punt return game and at receiver, but loaded tight end room. Lots of talent across the board for this Utah team. And I think the one thing that I like about Utah the most, if you look back at that secondary last year, their defense performed well, but they dealt with a lot of injuries in the secondary. They had a, they were playing a running back at corner last year. They got a lot of guys back on that secondary healthy, which should really help the defense. What do you see in Utah, Florida? I wrote this game up this morning. It'll be out on Action Network. I went from red hot on Utah to a lukewarm, right? I was on the favorites talking about how much I love Utah. I went a little lukewarm on this game, not on Utah. No more polygamy? No more polygamy for you? (laughs) I think what's got me a little bit rattled is, you know, this Florida defense is going to be much better. I've been so focused on the offensive side of the ball with Anthony Richardson, who's a, you know, like nothing sticks to him. Try to tackle him guys just fall off. Right. I mean, he is a living Bo Jackson, super tech mobile back from when I was a kid. And, you know, I think offensively they're completely depleted. Florida is when it comes to skill position players from rushing yards from receiving yards, it's going to be the Anthony Richardson show. So I think they're going to be a little bit limited. And I think that's going to help, uh, you know, Morgan Scally on the defensive side, 
come up with a plan to go ahead and defend Florida. And I think after about three or four series, after they see how limited and low, low the ceiling is for Florida's offense, Morgan Scally will adjust the Utah defense and they'll be able to take over. Now on the other side of the ball is where I got a little bit nervous about my money that I have down on Utah money line. I, I'm not sure I would buy a minus three. And what it comes down to is on the offensive line, there's a new center and there's a new right tackle. That depth chart just came out. You do a little bit of digging and some research on uh, Jaron Kump and uh, Mail, the, the new center there. They had limited exposure and playing time last year. They had the two worst pass blocking grades on the team. This Florida defensive line is completely underrated. Gervin Dexter and at the defensive oh. interior, Brenton Cox at edge. That is a serious problem for a brand new right tackle and a brand new center. Now, a center that had 200 snaps, he was not the starter. He didn't log 800 snaps. And a center that has serious problems in pass blocking grades. Cameron Rising is going to see some pressure here. And he's going to get sacked. And he's going to get hit. I do think Utah overall wins this game. But it's just not been pretty away from Rice Eccles. Look at that. I mean, lost to BYU on the road, lost to San Diego State, lost to Oregon State on the road last year. It's not the same team outside of home. That's a huge home field advantage that they have. So I've gone a little lukewarm. I, I love my Utah money line. I'm going to keep it. But you better bet. Utah gets some sort of lead and I can get some sort of Florida at 10 or Florida above seven. You better bet that live bet's coming through for the same amount of the position that I have on the Utah money line. Yeah, we'll see where this line ends up, but something inside of me is telling me Florida, but we'll see. All right, let's go to our last marquee game. Notre Dame at Ohio State. Ohio State, 17-point favorite, over under 59.5. This game's at 7.30 Eastern on ABC. If you look at a casual fan, looks at it and says, wow, this is a big number for – Notre Dame, I think, is fifth in the yeah. coaches poll. But as we talked about, massive, massive – drop off it's Alabama Ohio State this year and then depending on how Georgia fills all of their losses it could be two touchdowns on a neutral between the top two teams and the third or if Georgia's really good the third and the fourth best team so there's uh, a wide gap here and there's some potential issues for Notre Dame at wide receiver you know another wide receiver injury they're really inexperienced on the outside I think the quarterback position little limited, certainly nowhere close to what Ohio State brings to the table on the offensive end. It'll be up to Notre Dame's defense to really keep them in this game somehow uh, because I think with the addition of Jim Knowles, who got to prepare for this Notre Dame team last year in the bowl, uh, just bringing organization and communication, just the basics to this defense should improve them significantly off the bat because the talent is certainly there. And we know about the Ohio State offense. It's going to be hard to stop. So uh, the one thing that I will bring up is uh, Marcus Freeman, the clip of him saying he's now aware of the spread of plus 17 and a half. And he said he didn't know that. He's going to use that as motivations. Well, I didn't know that. I'm going to write that down. You said 17 and a half points, right? We'll use that in the team meeting today. It's good to know. You know, I haven't paid much attention to the spread, but I remember that one time we were on college game day. I said, just keep making go up and up. My point is, if Notre Dame's down 24 with two minutes to go, you know Freeman is going for that cover after bringing it up and trying to please his boosters and making a point to bring up that spread. So if you're backing Notre Dame plus 17 and a half and, yet, and you're down 24 late, you might have Freeman on your side. Uh, I make this game like 17-1. I would lean under 59 and a half, but not enough to play it. I'll be watching this game live to see what the Ohio State defense looks like what Notre Dame 
looks like, especially at receiver. I think that's going to really limit them this year. And maybe I'll have a live play, but I think this this spread is about right. And uh, curious to get your thoughts. These two teams, especially from a coaching staff perspective, they they really know each other. Now, Jim Knowles did game plan for Oklahoma State against Notre Dame, but somebody would come back and say, well, Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl scored, what, 28 points in the first half against yeah. Oklahoma State defense? Well, Jim Knowles wasn't on the field. And I think the thing about guys like Jim Knowles and Brent Venables, they can change and make adjustments, not just drive to drive, but play to play. I keep having these problems about trying to back Marcus Freeman as I'm not sure he's good at in-game adjustments, halftime adjustments. Jim Knowles is such a monster addition to this Ohio State team, not just to clean up the tackling, but to clean up the fact that Ohio State keeps trying to run a 4-2-5 and they can never identify who's going to play that nickelback. You know, Knowles is one of the best, you know, fundamental teachers from a tackling perspective. He's going to be able to make changes here. I would be really nervous if I was backing Notre Dame with what they have and the youth that they have on that offensive line. And when you have edge rushers on Ohio State, like Zach Harrison coming at Tyler Buckner, um, that's going to be a problem. And I don't know how Notre Dame stays in this game when their only real weapon is Michael Meyer at tight end. Uh, I mean, there's only so far you can go with explosive plays on a tight end over the middle. So, you know, this Ohio State team completely loaded on offense. The Irish defense is, I mean, they return almost everything. And they're actually really good at defending. I mean, they had top 10 ranks in almost all the advanced analytics in the five factors. So I do believe that Ryan Day is going to have about two or three series where he's going to try to establish the run. Go look at his presser. And I know, Stuck, you hate me doing coach speak. Monday's Ryan Day presser. We have to establish the run. Now, is Notre Dame going to be able to stop that? They're not bad as a run defense unit. It's going to be slow going in the beginning. It's going to be a grind. And once Knowles figures out what Notre Dame is going to do offensively, shut it down. I'm not sure how Notre Dame scores any points. And my bet for this game, by the way, I'm happy enough to grab 14 and a half, put it into the action app. It's a reason you want to fall Stucky and I. We're getting these numbers. We're, we're going to get these numbers on Labor Day while everybody is having a cookout with their family. We'll be smacking lines that are getting opened up to these odds makers at these books. And that way, you know, by the time we podcast, everybody's got a good number. But if you're mate, just listening to this now and you don't have any money on this game, I'm going under 31 in the first half with Ryan Day making it completely visible that he wants to run the ball as much as possible. I think a full game under is actually in play too. And you might get Notre Dame. I'm sorry. You might get Notre Dame, you know, not getting into double digits and Ohio state scoring all the points. But I think the one key stat from this game is Jackson Smith to Jigba. He was the second highest graded wide receiver against man-to-man coverage in all of college football last year. What does Marcus Freeman run? Every stop he's been at every single year, man-to-man coverage. Smith and Jigba and the Ohio State offense is going to tear the secondary apart when they decide to stop running the ball. So look for Knowles to make those changes, shut down the Notre Dame offense early. Might be a little success for the Irish early until, you know, Knowles figures out what's going on and expect Ryan Day to run the ball relentlessly until it gets stopped. First half under for me. Yeah, don't disagree. Hated to see that the injury to uh, Notre Dame wide receiver Avery Davis, who tore his ACL, and I think he tore his ACL last year, too. Um, he was going to be a captain and starting receiver. So we'll see what Notre Dame can cook up and see if their defense uh, can keep them in the game. But that's a tall task against the Ohio State loaded offense. All right, let's move on to the rundown. And let's just hit a bunch of different games here. All right, let's start in uh, Boone. Got an interesting game here with North Carolina and App State. This line has been bouncing around a little bit 
UNC is a one and a half point favorite over under 55 and a half. I really want to play this under. I don't, I don't know if I had the balls to do so. I, UNC coming to the year, I said, this is going to be one of my favorite under teams early on. So I think the defense, which is just retooled and they have town on the back end. I like some of their defense line pieces. I don't think they showed anything last. They just went completely vanilla last week. You know, I think their offense is obviously going to struggle more with Drake May at quarterback. I don't take anything in last week's game against a, a Florida A&M team that almost had to quit because they didn't have enough players. So I can't really take anything from last week. And I doubt they showed anything. doubt they even prepared for them. App State, really strong rushing attack. Bryce back under center. Really intriguing game here. It's similar to East Carolina hosting NC State. Right, it's just the Carolinas here, the group of five team hosting the power five team. What do you make of UNC App State? I'm over on this game. Uh, I actually just put it into the app, uh, got some money down on this before we started recording. And <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of a, of a Chase Bryce led App State team. But if you go and break down that box score of North Carolina and Florida A&M, say what you want about Florida A&M and who was eligible and who wasn't, who showed up. Florida A&M had four offensive drives go past the 40-yard line. You know how many touchdowns they scored on those four drives? Four. They scored a touchdown every single time they got into scoring position. Shouldn't be happening when Florida A&M plays North Carolina. Now you are going on the road to play App State, a game that was scheduled before Mac Brown took over. Now another reason I like the over, Phil Longo ball is back, baby. Now they did slow their tempo down. They wanted to focus more on Sam Howell passing game. Uh, you know, North Carolina was one of the fastest offenses in the country. And that's what Phil Longo was when he was Ole Miss as an offensive coordinator. They are back to up-tempo, 23 seconds per play. Uh, I mean, we're they're, they're getting back to being lightning fast again. And if that's going to happen, I'll take the over in this game. Uh, just looking at how Florida A&M undressed North Carolina, not just in the red zone, but it's past the 40. Uh, I think App State's going to be able to do the same. So I'll take the over. I think 55 and a half is what I got. 56 is out there. Um, I'll buy it again if it goes lower. I kind of disagree with that. I have something that's telling me not to bet it. So um, <laughs> the North Carolina unders are, are scary, a scary thought. Uh, Arizona, San Diego State, <clears throat> San Diego State, six, six and a half point favorite here at home, unveiling their new stadium, taking on an Arizona team that I think might be one of the most improved teams in the entire country. Um, I think this line is way too high. I think it's closer to one or two. Uh, so I played Arizona plus getting six against San Diego state is always a intriguing offer. And we saw Matt Ariza last year, just, he was worth, he was their most important player against the spread flipping fields, 80 yard punts. He's no longer there. San Diego state's defense is always going to be excellent. Braxton Burmeister at quarterback, their offense is going to be limited. I think Arizona probably has more talent overall here and uh i think this game's closer to a coin flip six points in this game which should be low on the lower scoring side uh, i'll take the wildcats you agree i do agree i haven't pulled the trigger um i think it's too many points it should be a lot lower below a field goal the under has absolutely has my attention because you know i want to hit that san diego state over when it gets below 20 in the middle of the game Aztec overs. Sad that this isn't at night. I'd love to see Snapdragon Stadium at night. Braxton Burmeister coming in at San Diego State. He may try to air it out. He's got some transfer wide receivers in there. Don't know if Jeff Heklinski is actually going to veer away from the run and try to throw the ball a little bit with San Diego State this year. Uh, but we know that they're going to be trying to dominate the trench, slow, grind, 
run. And then the defense is going to be the same. Nothing's going to change over on that side of the ball for San Diego state. And that's going to be a problem for an Arizona offensive line that only returns half their snaps for last year. So, uh, you know, I, I think there's going to be a struggle to get points up on the board. And, and I hate saying that because I love Jaden Delora from Washington state. And I love Jacob Cowan coming in from UTEP. The problem is, is, that's an explosive combination. That's not a success rate combination. That's an explosive play combination. And that's not what gets overs. That's, uh, you know, not a combination that you want to be betting. So I do like the under here. I think I want to bet the under just so I can come in live and take an over here. I'm typing a San Diego state under it's a new year, everybody, a new week one. I'm going to bet it now. Wow. Put it through. It's going to be, shockwaves through the betting community just go out there and try to have fun you know you know having fun is the name of the game i bet you're gonna end up hitting the live over you're gonna get nervous 30 seconds in i can't do this i'm hitting the over let's move on to a really another intriguing game of a utah team traveling east to the state of florida dealing with the humidity maybe the rain elements they're not used to byu 12 point favorite at south florida South Florida, similar to Arizona, I think could be really improved. They return as much experience as anyone in the country. They really hit the transfer portal hard, including bringing in Jerry Bohannon, the quarterback from Baylor, who beat BYU last year. By the way, BYU is going to play Bohannon. Then they play Shapin. They play Baylor again next week. Then they play they play Liberty, I think, which is where Charlie Brewer is. Like all, they do, all they're doing is playing Baylor quarterbacks this year. But I, I think that South Florida – could be extremely improved here. This is a tough, it's a tough elements for B- BYU to deal with. They were 0-8 in program history in Florida before they beat UCF in like late December in the Boca Raton Bowl. It's going to be humid. There's going to be rain. BYU is loaded on both sides of the ball. Lots of experience. Now, they're not going to get a lot of pressure, and I think that does help South Florida. It's one of the weak points. And so I think Bohannon will have some time. The passing game should improve with him back there. Not the biggest fan of of his when he was in the big 12, but compared to what they had passing the ball last year, and he can move as well. I think their passing game will be significantly improved. They have a really good receiver too, but end up going to the NFL. I think that they can make some plays against this BYU secondary, this BYU team that drops eight a lot. And on the other side of the ball, you know, you have Hall back at quarterback for BYU. He made his first start here, by the way, back in 2019 at South Florida. And again, South Florida came back to win as underdogs in humidity he has you know, really good offensive line in front of him. Now, they do need to replace Tyler Gier, Algier at, at running back. And they bring in Brooks, a transfer who has pedigree, but that's, we'll keep an eye on if there is any drop-off there. He also has a loaded skill position players, but there are questions there. Their star tight end, Rex, is coming off surgery. He said he says he's like 80%, but he can't really jump. Was like so, And then your two best receivers Nakua and Gunnar Romney I don't know if they're gonna play they haven't been practicing they were on the depth chart they haven't been practicing in weeks Romney went on a radio show yesterday and said yeah he's been running around and he's hopeful that'll play it just doesn't sound like the rumors are like they're, they're not gonna play so we'll see who knows I think South Florida hangs around in this game I think South Florida is gonna have a shot to pull off his upset Am I crazy? You're not crazy, but I'm not joining you because South Florida may have the players. They had one of the highest returning numbers in all of TARP from offensive and defensive side of the ball. 
but in that aspect, BYU, BYU did also. For me, this comes down to a coaching angle, and I just have never seen it out of Jeff Scott. And, you know, Chad Morris is there to provide some offensive uh, analytics, and hopefully he can get them over the hump. But there are things with South Florida that bother me. I, I want to join you on this. I get the whole BYU travel. I get the players missing out. But, you know, going against Sataki and Jeff Grimes and and taking on uh, Jeff Scott, who whose team last year finished 129th in, in tackle grading outside the top 100 in offensive finishing drives, these are things that are correlated to coaching. And there is a massive coaching edge for BYU here. So, you know, despite we've seen BYU be without players before and for some reason just keep chugging. So I want to join you. I'm going to sit this one out. The market agrees with you. I, I can see it in the number, just kind of hanging out there on that in that dead zone. But at the same time, I'm not going to fade Jeff Grimes by backing Jeff Scott. Yeah, we'll see on the BYU receivers. If, if both those receivers are out, be big losses for BYU. Let's move on to Memphis, Mississippi State. Last year, it's a really, pretty interesting game. Mississippi State lost to Memphis at the Liberty Bowl. This will be played at Starkville. Mississippi State over a two-touchdown favorite in this game. Last year, they were only a three-point favorite. They lost that game despite dominating statistically. You had a, a punt return, 94-yard punt return by Calvin Austin that shouldn't have counted. They Memphis also had a, a fumble return for a touchdown. Calvin Austin in that game had nine catches for over 100 yards and three touchdowns. He's gone. Their start tight end is also gone. Mississippi State, by the way, they're, they're two best receivers that game. One of them is on the Ravens now, combined for like 20 catches and 200 yards. They're both gone. I like this under here. The market is disagreeing with me. I think it's ticking back up a little bit. But, you know, they got to 60 points last year with two non-offensive touchdowns. All the receivers that went off are no longer there. I think Memphis is going to go. They started to play slower at the end of last year, too. I think they're going to rely on their running game. Right? They bring in Ducker from NIU. Their new offensive coordinator, that's his specialty, is the run game. He came over from Marshall. So I think they're going to play slower, rely on their run game. They lost their two best targets on the outside. I know Hennigan comes back at quarterback. On the other side, yes, Rodgers comes back, but you lose both tackles, including one in the top 10 of the NFL draft. You're going to kick a guard out to tackle. You lose your best receiver. You lose another receiver. So I, I think that they're going to be fine. It's, a, it's a, you know, an offense. It's all about timing. It's his third year in the offense. Whenever that happens under Leach, the team's win at least nine games. But there could be some growing pains early. And I think the Memphis defense – will be a little bit better last year. It was just a, a disaster last year, especially against the run, but that's not really what Mississippi State does. And while Mississippi State's pass heavy, they play slow. And the Mississippi State defense is just loaded across the board. And then you throw in some transfers. Davis come back from injury. Uh, so I, I like this under here. I think it's going to be – I think the Mississippi State defense could keep a Memphis offense that's going to, I think, rely on the run, play a little slower than they have in the past. I think Mississippi State will keep them in check. And then I think Memphis can do enough to not keep this from getting completely out of hand. And there could be some early growing pains for the Mississippi State offense. So give me the under. The market has gone against me in this one. So you can get a better number, 57, which is important. If it ends 30 to 27, there's your push. But I played under 56 and a half and under 56 here. I like Mississippi State in the first half here. I mean, this was a game on a terrible part of the schedule. It was in between LSU and NC State last year. Uh, on the road. Uh, I mean, I know it's not a very far trip, but still, when you're in the middle of, uh, you know, beating NC State and you got LSU on deck, it was just the perfect spot for Memphis to get at him. Now Mike Leach has had all summer. Uh, it's not like he's going to change his game plan with his air raid and with Will Rogers, uh, but Will Rogers was fantastic in that game last year. He had three touchdowns. 
Uh, I just think it was 67 times. Yeah. 67 times. The spot had more to do with that win last year than anything else. Uh, And (laughs) Mike Leach has been known to give up a few spots that uh, weren't really important to the schedule. Um, I think he's not going to be caught off guard this year. I think the team's going to have eyes wide open. I would take Mississippi state in the first half in this game. All right. Let's stay in the state of Mississippi and talk about Southern Miss and Liberty. Liberty, Liberty, Liberty. Southern Miss three and a half point underdog. Southern Miss in my bucket is potentially one of the most improved teams in the country this year. I like some of the pieces they brought in to bolster that defense, which was pretty good last year. They often just couldn't give them any help. They had all kinds of quarterback injuries. They should have more continuity there. You know, you're getting more experience in the hall ball system. I think Liberty is a bit overrated in the market. They played just such, you know, obviously they lost Malik Willis. They played such soft schedules the past couple of years. I think Southern Miss is extremely live here. I make this game a complete toss up. One underrated aspect, Southern Miss brought in Liberty's, their offensive line coach has been there for the last couple of years. A good offensive line coach. He also knows Liberty inside and out. So I think that'll help, especially in game one with the preparation. Um, I, I like Southern Miss here. I play them plus three and a half. I think this game is a coin flip. Comes down to the wire. Gladly take over a field goal. Thoughts? Yeah, well, yeah, we'll back Hall in any kind of coin flip scenario, uh, especially against Liberty, a team that's going to have to learn to live without Malik Willis. We're starting to see with the Titans in preseason exactly how important he was to that Hugh Freeze offense. Now they're going to try to get it to go with Charlie Brewer. Uh, hopefully no concussions or anything like that, or any Cam Risings in the depth chart that might chase him out of town. I love Southern Miss. Uh, you know, doing the Sunbelt pod with with uh, Mike Ionella and Mike Calabrese, by the way, they went 4-0 last week. You should go listen to their pod on the on the group of five. You know, I love Southern Miss this year. Tyke's a quarterback. Frank Gord, uh, moving from quarterback back to running back. Uh, they're going to take on a Liberty defense that returns just – half their stops, less than half their tackles last year. And then you flip to the offensive side of the ball. Not only is Malik Willis gone, but there is a large drop in uh, running back production that's coming too. They do get all of their offensive line back, so we'll see if Southern Miss can get any penetration on that or cause any havoc. But you just wiped the stats away with Southern Miss last year, especially from the offensive side of the ball where they were 130th in almost everything. I think the one big key takeaway that I've got from this team Southern Miss was 15th in defensive finishing drives last year. They annihilated drives that came within the 40-yard line. That is going to continue. Uh, I think Liberty's going to have a hard time getting some points in the end zone. I like Southern Miss here outright. I agree. Final game in the rundown. Got a lot of questions about this game. Louisville, Syracuse. I don't think a lot of people are interested in Louisville. I I would agree. There are four-point favorites here over under 56-and-a-half. Syracuse finished top in the top 15 in 2018. Since then, it's been a disaster. They haven't had a winning season. And over that stretch, they've gotten blown out three times by Louisville, including the last two years. It's something like 78 to three. But all three games were in Louisville. This one will be in Syracuse. It's a new year for Dino Babers, who's definitely on the hot seat. He brought in a new offensive coordinator from Virginia. who's a good one, but I don't know if it fits here. You have Garrett Schrader back at quarterback. You have Sean Tucker back, a running back, star running back, record-breaking running back last year. They were really good at running the ball. Like, Schrader can't really throw the ball downfield like Brennan Armstrong could. So I don't – like, are they going to pass more? I assume they're going to try to go really high tempo. I don't know if that's necessarily going to work here. On the other side of the ball, for Syracuse, their 3-3-5-D, they return most of their the back end of their deep, but they have to replace their entire 
defensive line, which could be an issue against a Louisville offensive line that I think could be really strong. I think a Louisville defense will be better. Love the addition at nose tackle, the kid they brought in from Arizona State, Lole, and I, I, that's that's what they needed. They needed more bulk in the interior, especially against a team like Syracuse. Malik Cunningham's back at quarterback for Louisville. He has a pretty good offensive line. The questions are at receiver. Louisville, after 2020, lost two receivers in the NFL. They lost, lost their two top receivers from last year who transferred to SEC schools. Got some talent out there, but it could take some time to gel. But Louisville's problem last year, they would blow leads. Is that really a concern against the Syracuse attack and throwing the ball? I don't know. I mean, I assume Syracuse is going to have some new wrinkles with their new coordinator, and maybe they jump out to a lead here. I make this like six. So kudos to you if you got Louisville minus three or better. I'm going to hope Louisville gets behind early and try to get them live as a dog. Um, I would certainly lean Louisville here, but not a play at four. What are your thoughts? I love Sean Tugger, and I, I he, he deserves every bit of praise that we can give him. But, you know, this is just a real – if he was in a different system at a different school, then we could talk about Heisman. He definitely is a game changer for Syracuse because they're so inept at doing everything else. I think the thing that shocked me last year is that Syracuse finished in the top 10 in PFF as far as tackle grading was concerned, but they couldn't tackle one player for Louisville, whether it was a rushing or a passing attempt. Quite an embarrassment from Syracuse, and I think it shows how far they fell off. Now, they do have a very high ranking in TARP, but Louisville does that too. Scott Satterfield still trying to get back in the good graces of the fan base after having to pen a letter about, you know, taking a job interview with South Carolina. I think that he's always got something to prove. And if he can run up scores like he did against Syracuse last year, he's absolutely going to do it. They also return at least 70% across the board. That includes, you know, 83% of their offensive line snaps. That's good news for Malik Cunningham. I, I would still bang on Louisville Hiller, although I power rate this at six. I think there's no more value left in the spread, but are we really expecting this game to be close after all of the you know results that we've had the last couple of years? So Louisville, maybe in a, in a money line parlay, if you're a numbers guy and you don't want to get away from your power rating, maybe Louisville is a money line piece. Yeah, I'm thinking that um, as well. If, if not, I'll probably look to get them live. This is Syracuse team that was like top 20 in pressure in, in Sacre last year, and they lose their entire D front. Tough to replace. And if you get a drop off there, then the numbers in your secondary also drop off. So we'll see. I hate these conference games to start off. They're interesting, but I wish we didn't have conference games in week one, to be honest. All right, before we get out of here, let's go. Three and out. One, two, three. Let's make it a quick three and out. All right. First down, we have, we already covered Thursday night. We covered Friday night. I think we talked about 20 games already. We now have to talk about Sunday night and Monday night. Sunday night college football. I'm sure all of Twitter will be tuned in. This game has potential to get weird. LSU, the Brian Kelly error has begun. The accent error, LSU's a two-and-a-half-point favorite over-under sitting at 51-and-a-half. I tend to think that this game, the way that it's going to play out, there's a lot of questions, a lot of new pieces, but I think both defensive lines will have the edge over each respective offensive line, and I think that's the storyline of the game. kind of keeps each offense from sustaining drives, so – I like the under. Not sure if we're going to hit the full game under, first half under, or both. What are your thoughts? For me, it's a first half under all the way. I mean, these defensive lines are so good. Uh, they're so big, too. I, I still can't believe Mason Smith is the size of a house for LSU. When you look at the Florida State 
you know, team in general, they've definitely got a leg up when it comes to experience and being in Norvell's system over the, a number of years. They're returning almost all their tackles back. They're returning all of their PBUs back. This defense knows the system. They know how to execute it. And last year, they were highly successful at doing that. When you look at the offensive side of the ball, this is not the poster child for success rate. Not long, sustained drives. They're all about explosive plays. So an LSU defense that you know, and from a back seven perspective is trying to learn new schemes. What is their, their fourth scheme? I think in four years, a number of defensive coordinators that have floated through there, there may be some struggles when it comes to the passing game. So I do think Florida State's going to be able to break away and get a couple of explosive plays, but that's not going to happen early. This is going to be a struggle to figure out who they are early in the game. Uh, both these defensive lines are absolutely going to dominate the offensive lines. And when you look at LSU, we got Jaden Daniels, right? Yep, yeah, Jaden Daniels is, I think, going to start. It could be Nussmeyer. Brennan has left, and but Brian Kelly's being coy about it. Hasn't named a starter at quarterback. I mean, Daniels is the one that could make you know a few things happen on the ground in case there's a busted play. But Garrett Nussmeyer, to me, is the one that's going to be uh, the arm cannon that leads LSU to the promised land later on in the season. So maybe they're going to hold him back, kind of throw Daniels out to the wolves. Something that we talked about Brody Miller with from The Athletic back on our SEC podcast is that this defensive line is absolutely going to dominate. The offensive line has some questions to answer. They are big, but they are young. There are freshmen and sophomores all over this offensive line. And Daniels has more mobility in that pocket, and that's going to be a big factor here against Florida State. So expect all the scores between Florida State and LSU in the first half to come via the explosive play. It's probably going to take LSU a little bit longer. This number should be a pick. Uh, There is a lot of love in the market right now for Brian Kelly. Uh, he is an excellent coach. They have a ton of talent. Is one of the most recruiting rich states in you know in all of FBS. Uh, so you know I expect LSU to figure it out, but probably second half. This is a first half under me just because the defensive lines are going to be so dominant in this game. Yes, LSU is a hard one of the hardest teams for me to project this year. New coaches, a lot of new pieces. Like like we don't even know starting a quarterback and. Um, so there could be some, but I, the defensive line is loaded. I think the defense will be ahead of the offense. So yeah, I agree with you on that first half under, all right, let's move on to Monday night, college football. Looks like, uh, on paper, maybe a Thursday night NFL game. This one might not be the most competitive primetime Island college football game with Clemson taking on Georgia Tech. Clemson has, this line has blown past 21, obviously a very key number in college football. Clemson's out to a 22-point favorite. Over-under jumped today, right? I believe it jumped up to 51. Yeah. Which I was surprised about. But Clemson, 22-point favorite. I was Thinking about the under at 51, came back down, which I didn't see much value. And I might go back to the well. I, I leaned Clemson at under 21. This, I just don't see how this Georgia Tech offense is going to sustain anything against arguably one of the best defenses in the country. This Georgia Tech team was gutted by the transfer portal. And on the other side of the ball, it's what are we going to get with Clemson at quarterback? What is the impact of the loss of both of their coordinators? I imagine Dabo wants to come out here and make a statement after and put up points here after hearing all about their offense and the disrespect all season, not really in the conversation as they've been. BYOG, bring your own guts. And they brought some guts. And I just don't think Georgia Tech can keep up. Georgia Tech did play them close last year and almost won. 
at Clemson when their offense couldn't do a thing completely inept. Will their offense be better? I don't know. I, I, I probably won't bet this game because I don't know what we're going to get from Clemson's quarterback play. Curious to see what the loss of Venables means to the defense, but the defense should be loaded regardless. What do you see here? Well, Clemson's not going to change any scripts, but like I said earlier, there are just not a lot of defensive coordinators out there like Venables, like Jim Knowles at Ohio State that can adjust from play to play. Uh, so we're going to have to find out if these new coordinators on the offensive and defensive side for Clemson are able to make those in-drive adjustments to lead Clemson back to the promised land of you know national championship worthy. And DJ Uyunglele has a ton to prove. Now, you know, Dabo said in the offseason, we want to be up-tempo. We want to run at a faster pace, but we have to execute the offense better from a success rate perspective for us to be able to run that kind of up-tempo offense. I think the loss of Travis Etienne is still being felt. They really, you know, Kobe Pace has been excellent in the backfield. Uh, You know, they have plenty of weapons from the ground perspective, but there's no chemistry between the wide receivers and DJ Uyunglele as of yet. So when you see this number tick up in the total, it's got to be dealing with the the, the tempo that Clemson wants to put. And they probably want to throw the hammer down on Jeff Collins and Georgia Tech anyways, make a statement. It's a standalone game on Monday night. Georgia Tech's defense is just prime for a beating here. Uh, they only return 40% of their PBUs. They only return half their tackles. So if DJU wants to have a pretty good game, this is a defense that he probably wants to do it against. So you have to ask yourself, is it done steaming at 22? Now, I understand that we're recording this on a Wednesday night, and this game's not going to happen for another four days or so. So, you know, the number could be completely different. I don't think it's done going down. I think it's going to go up even farther. If it eclipses 24, good, maybe, we'll see. Uh, but from a total perspective, that's got to be all in the tempo. I think the question stuck is, if this is going to be the best Clemson defense, and when you compare it to 2018, one of the best college football defenses ever, if this is defense is going to be better than that, does Georgia Tech score? And this is a Georgia Tech team, 112th in offensive finishing drives last year. They only returned half their receiving yards. They lost their best back to Alabama. Lost their best back to Alabama, Jameer Gibbs. And they only returned half of their offensive line snaps. I think, I mean, I think a Georgia Tech team total is under is the way to play here. Are they going to score any points? I mean, the offense is questionable for Clemson. The defense is not. And if Georgia Tech is able to get two scores up, I mean, Clemson's got real problems the rest of the year. So I think for me, it's probably going to be a Georgia Tech team total under. And then I'll just sit back and see how DJU deals with a defense that should not give him any problems whatsoever. Yep, don't mind that. All right, let's move on to second down. That's our favorite overdog, favorite favorite, for those who have been listening for a while. It's called the overdog parlay. Colin, what do you got? My favorite favorite of the week is going to be Michigan State Spartans. Um, You know, Mel Tucker prides having himself and having a chip on his shoulder. Uh, It doesn't matter who the opponent is on the other sidelines. I think in his vision, all he sees is Michigan. Uh, He pretends like Wolverines are on the other side. Last year, 4-0 against the spread in non-conference games. I know it's a really small sample. and We don't use trends on this podcast, but it goes to show what the Mel Tucker regime is that no game is going to get left behind. We're not going to, you know, we're not going to just throw something aside just because of who the opponent is, just because it's a directional school from inside the state. Uh, Every game means everything to Mel Tucker. There is a huge discrepancy in tarp here for what returning experience is for Michigan state, getting an excellent quarterback, getting one of the best special teams players and wide receivers in the nation back and a havoc minded defense going up against a max school, uh, that is going to have 
serious problems uh, because Tim Lester has lost everything at Western Michigan offensive and defensive side. So I think that number has started at what, 17 and a half. It's up to 21. I saw 23. Not sure where it starts stops, but uh, that's my favorite overdog. Yeah, that was actually going to be mine too for the I played them first half when it's 13 and a half, which I'd like 14 or below. Western Michigan has major questions, especially on offense. And I think they're going to struggle early here on the road with a new quarterback. You lose Sky Moore at receiver. Um, you lose some key pieces on the offensive line. You lose your best pass rusher on the defense. The defense, I mean, I'm just super low on this Western Michigan team in general. And I think they'll be overmatched here. I think Michigan State will get off to a fast start and get out to at least a two-touchdown lead at halftime. So I agree with you on Michigan State. I, I, was Akron a two-touchdown favorite against St. Francis? I saw that. That'd probably go up. Uh, but I can't say that. I can't. That's great. I can't say that one. I'm going to say Washington against Kent State, okay. by the way. Okay. Do you want to bite on TCU? You want to go with Washington? Yeah. See, I can't I can't play TCU now that it's out to 14. But uh, I'm going to go Washington. Kent State, This they're just too small for these types of games. I think Washington with a new staff, much steadier quarterback situation, will want to come out here in their home opener after last year losing to Montana. I think they'll really make a statement here. I think Kent State's going to miss Dustin Crum, especially early on. So give me Washington at minus 22 and a half. Third down before we get out of here. Underdog Moneyline Parlay. Turning good weekends into great weekends. It's time for the Moneyline Parlay. Colin, what do you got? I'm going to go Old Dominion against Virginia Tech. Yes. Uh, Hayden Wolf comes back as a quarterback. He was named the starter. Wolf in the shotgun, and he's got him asking you shall receive, my friend, from Hayden Wolf. The Virginia Tech team, new coach, Penn State old defensive coordinator, Brent Pry. I expect improvement in the defense, a defense that has fallen outside the top 100 in everything from fundamentals like tackling, from coverage. Virginia Tech will have a little bit of improvement there. But there's questions all over this roster, and the market has spoken. Old Dominion was whacked at 10, whacked at 9, whacked at 8. We've got flat 7s out there right now. And think about it. This is Ricky Rain. He was the offensive coordinator at Penn State. These two coaches know each other extremely well, and Ricky Rain should have no problem scheming against Brent Pry in a new position at Virginia Tech. Some people would say, hey, Old Dominion's already lost their offensive coordinator but he was hired after last season. He had nothing to do with that five-game win streak at the end of the year for the Monarchs uh, before they went to the bowl game. So he's gone. They already had a mature staff in there, offensive line coach, wide receiver coach, running back coach. It's an offensive offense by committee, it's going to be called. I have no worries about them losing their offensive coordinator. I think Old Dominion is a live dog here. Uh, Virginia Tech, new head coach, lots of transfers. It's going to be an issue. Uh, it's week one, so let's get a little crazy. There's some craziness. Uh, I'm going to go with the game I already talked about. Let's go Bulls, South Florida, in the humidity down in Florida, upsetting BYU. All right, that'll do it for us. Thank you for listening, as always. We love you guys. Thanks for the support. Again, reminder, we'll do giveaways all the time. Lead five-star review. This is the time where it really helps us out. 959-BAD-BEAT. Make sure you call in all weekend. We'll be back with a recap episode next week. And as always, make sure you check out the Group of Five episode. Good luck on all of your wagers. And we'll see you Saturday morning for the Big Bets on Campus live show, 10.30 a.m. Eastern. We'll catch you all later. Cheers. Peace out. Peace out.